0: I hope everyone this morning is having a good uh, Labor Day weekend. I hope that everything is working out good. How many tomorrow? Wow, that's a good percentage of people. Uh, Some of you get every Monday off, I know. Does anybody here need a break from your job? The summer just ended. You already need a break? Oh, that's it. Okay, does anybody here have a boring job? Does anybody have an unfulfilling job? Maybe you have a job that's kind of leaving you a little bit discouraged, maybe even depressed this morning. Um, Maybe your work environment is not nearly what you hoped it would be. A lot of different situations are out there. I want to encourage you this morning on this Labor Day weekend with a scripture. Uh, it's not in the sermon directly, but it is indirectly. Let me give you some encouragement in your work. It comes from Colossians three, twenty-two through 24. Great passage when you're thinking about your work and what you do every day. It says this, slaves, <laughs> I'm not talking about you, <laughs> slaves obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart And reverence for the Lord. That's the key. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Hard to remember that sometimes, I know. Sometimes somebody's over your shoulder, you know, and somebody's down uh, your back, and uh, maybe the, you know, the, the, uh, monthly, or uh, every six-month evaluation, or maybe every year evaluation is heavy on your heart there. I don't know what's going on. Maybe in your life, in your work environment, but this is an encouraging scripture, isn't it? And it starts off with the word slaves, not because we're slaves. Uh, the Roman Empire had a lot of those. A lot of them were Christians, and they couldn't change anything about that. And still, Paul said to them, the Word of God said to them, make the most of this, serve God. Serve the Lord. Don't serve your boss. Don't serve a paycheck. God's got you in that place to do some amazing work for him. So bring glory to him through that. When that change of attitude happens, it really does help. You go back to work every day and it changes how you do your work for God in that place. Work is worship. It's part of our worship because it's a big chunk of our time. Uh, a chunk of the time that we spend in our lives. So we need to see that in t- context of worship, and that's why this is indirectly related to the topic of worship today. And so from there, with that word of encouragement, it's just a small step into our topic this morning. This is the first of three messages on worship that we've, we've kind of scoped out here, and I want us to be really thinking about worship, and how we worship, and why we worship, and, and what we gain from worship and what we give in worship all these aspects to that Jason Lawson asked this question what is the one thing we'll do in heaven that we do here on earth it's worship you know it's not missions it's not disciple making it's it's not even praying uh, it's not preaching you know and I won't have any need to preach in heaven but we will worship and we will continue worshiping for all eternity So doesn't it make sense that we'd want to know what we're doing? Doesn't it make sense that we'd want to be good at this? Because you're going to spend eternity worshiping God in ways that you can't even imagine right now. Worship is an end in itself. It's not a prelude. It's not get ready for something else. It's not so that you can be ready for the preacher to preach a message. Worship is an end in itself. It stands alone as something worthwhile to do. It's not a means to something else. It is the main event of our lives, to worship God. Worship is our highest and most noble pursuit. It focuses our attention on God, not on us. And that's a big deal. That's an important thing, to change our focus to Him. So if you only worship God because you get something out of it, there's a problem. Your worship ceases to be worship because you're really doing it for yourself. I came to church because I needed something. I came to church because I need to recharge my battery so I can live for God. Well, the live for God's good thing. And maybe your battery will get recharged spiritually. But the reason you come to church and the reason you worship God is for him, not for you. So before we get into what true worship is, let's talk about why we worship. A couple quick things here. We worship for two basic reasons because God deserves it. <laughs> God deserves whatever we can offer Him in worship and praise. He is worthy of so much more than we can give Him. God is worthy of being praised continuously. Secondly, we were created for it. That's why we were made, to worship God. We are wired for worship. Do you know that? Did you know that it's built inside of us to worship God? It's part of our DNA. DNA, and no matter what your specifics are, you know how unique strand that you have, and you know, you are special among all the seven billion people here on earth. But in every one of those DNA strands, there is worship. It's built into us. We are wired for it. Worshiping our creator is a common thread for all humankind. We are all wired for worship. Blaise Pascal described it as a God shaped whole inside each of us, a hole that only God can fill. Actually, the quote that we don't always get right is this. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the Creator, made known through Jesus. I believe that. I believe that God put that, that openness, that capacity, that awareness, that instinctive passion in every human heart and soul. He's a pretty smart guy, this Pascal guy. He only lived 39 years, I discovered. But he got some things right, some things we need to learn. Other philosophers don't get this right. Other students of mankind have spoken uh, in the wrong way about how we're to live. But some have gotten it right, that there is this longing for the divine. That there's a longing somehow to reach out and touch our God, the God who created us. And even though we may never find God, some people, many people still spend their whole lives looking for something, looking for something more than they've discovered up to that point, and something that they've not experienced before this time. They look for something to fill this vacuum that God has put inside of them, a vacuum that only He can fill. Some people deny this longing. They say there's no there's no hole there's no vacuum there there's nothing inside of us it's just us uh, it's only us we're merely the result of a cosmic accident maybe a big bang somewhere sometime and so what we see today is just the you know how things have have evolved to this point these people tend to be cynical about life I've noticed. They may be pure hedonists, that is, you know, seeking every pleasure they can have, every sensual thing that they can possibly do, but never satisfied, no matter what they try, always coming up empty on the other side of that pursuit. Or maybe uh, they tend to be fatalists. You know, everything's bad, everything's negative, everything's going to end poorly. Resigned to the fact that there will be a lot of sadness in their lives, and then at the end, nothing. That's it. When you die, you die, and it's over. And such people believe that we are no more than animals, that we are not eternal souls. They believe we have no connection to eternity and certainly no connection to any God who cares about us. And they are sadly wrong. For the Bible, God's Word describes to us that God is in our lives and the worship gene, the worship DNA, is built into us. We are wired for worship. Romans 1.18 is instructive. It tells us that people who think that there is not such a thing are suppressing the truth, is what it says. They know the truth, but they don't want to admit it. Look at Romans 1.18-20. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. They are suppressing the truth. Why do they suppress the truth? Well, I'm not sure, but I suspect there's some pride in there somewhere. There's some pride that says, I know better than everyone else. I don't have to answer to anyone else. I can do my own thing, and nobody else can question what I want to think or believe or do. The pride of many causes them to want to live however they want to live without having to answer to the one who made them. And so in their own minds, they become their own gods. And there is no one higher, no one to be accountable to. I want you to know this morning, first, before we get any further into this theme, is that we are wired to worship God. That's how we are made. And when we miss that, we're missing a big part of how God made us. Psalm 19 tells us that all of creation was made by God to give praise to him. It says, the heavens themselves declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Other Psalms talk about the, the wonders of creation and how even the sun and the moon and the stars, praise God. Perhaps you remember when Jesus was entering Jerusalem on the day that we call Palm Sunday. And uh, the Pharisees came against him and said, why are these people shouting and singing praise to you? You need to tell them to be quiet. And Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. If they get quiet, what's going to happen? The stones will cry out. Nobody's going to stop me from being praised on this day, he was saying. There are many people who choose not to praise God. Let's be honest about that. There is, however, coming a day when all of us will praise God. Philippians 2, 10-12 tells us that. That there will be a day, on the day that the Lord comes, when every knee will bow before Him, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. On that day, some of us will joyfully praise Him for what He's done and the salvation that He's given us, the freedom that we have in Christ from sin and, and death and hell, but others will praise him only because they must, only because the truth is finally out, that Jesus is Lord, and they will be on their knees before him as condemned sinners, bound for eternal punishment, because they never, never believed him. If we do not find a way to feel or express our worship, since we're wired this way, we are denying a fundamental part of our very being. fundamental part of our very makeup. We are suppressing the truth. We are denying one of the most important things God has for us, if not, in fact, the most important thing, because we are made to worship. And since we are wired for worship, we're going to worship something or someone. You see that in people's lives. Even people that are far from God still devote themselves, still become passionate about something or someone. And they give themselves to that. Now, some people give themselves to anything that comes along, anything that promises them what they want. Okay, I'll go with you. I'll worship you. I'll do whatever you say. Maybe it's an idea. Maybe it's a philosophy. Maybe it's a person that is like this charismatic leader that just draws their attention and they yield and, and, and give their allegiance to them. It may be their job. It's a good topic, Labor Day weekend. Maybe that is your worship. That is what you give all of your energy and time to. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your possessions. Maybe it's your vacation. Maybe it's yourself. You're worshiping yourself. I'm doing whatever I want to do. I'm doing it however I want to do it. But know this, that we all worship someone or something. So you have to ask yourself, who or what am I worshiping? Not just what I say Sunday morning at 10.30, but what is my life showing I worship? For a few minutes this morning, I want us to look at what true worship is. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you can turn to that. We're going to look at there briefly, but next week we're going to look a little more in depth into that passage. And in between these two Sundays, I hope you'll look at Isaiah 6. Mark it down and read Isaiah 6, 1 through 13. If you'll read that every day this week and become very familiar with that passage about Isaiah's call to worship God and to serve God, I I think it will be instructive to us. But I just want to point out a couple things this morning. So let's just read Isaiah 6, the first five verses. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings, and with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. Amazing creatures, huh? And they were calling to one another Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty! The whole earth is full of His glory! And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried! I am ruined! For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Wow. What a scene. You can just somehow conjure that up into your imagination and, and see what Isaiah was seeing on that day. True worship before God was initiated by God, not by him, not by man. Worship is not our idea. Isaiah is just going along, and all of a sudden, he is transported physically or in a vision before the very throne of God. And his immediate response is, Whoa, I am ruined by what I'm seeing here, what I'm experiencing here. Isaiah saw the Lord high and exalted. He had the privilege of seeing God as he truly is. And I hope we can all come to that day. Isaiah was taken into the throne room of God. And this was not his idea to see God. It was God's idea. Isaiah couldn't have conjured up God this way. He couldn't have created a potion or a spell or incantation. And all of a sudden, he sees God. God says, I'm going to show you God today. Jeremiah, Jonah, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, many others had encounters like this. Encounters where they saw God as he truly is and it unnerved them. It made them stand back or fall, prostrate before God in awe and wonder and amazement. God showed his glory here to Isaiah, and Isaiah was immediately awestruck, awestruck in the presence of God. And 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 we need to, to understand, we need to appreciate, we need to capture that same sense of awe even though we may not see God with our physical eyes, in a physical way. And we make plans every week to worship. Uh, Some weeks or months ahead of time, the elders and I come up with themes and things that we think the congregation needs to be learning and growing in. And so we map out. We now have mapped out through November. November. And we keep on doing that. And then we hand that off to other people who plan some of the worship songs and prepare and practice those songs. And we have people that come up and share meditations and prayers like Seth did this morning. And, and all these plans go into this, but we do not initiate worship. God does. We could set all the plans in motion that we could ever dream up. We could have them as, as finely tuned as possible and not worship. Because this is God's idea, and it must be initiated by him. Churches often in their worship service have an invocation. What is that? An opening prayer. But the word invocation means we're invoking God. We're asking God to come in our midst. Well, to me, it's kind of silly to do that. He's already here. And for us to say, God, please bless us with your presence. Wait a minute, I'm already everywhere. How can I do that? And when we get ready for church on Sunday morning, you know, there's a thought ever there. God's already down there. I'm going to go down there to join with my brothers and sisters, and we're going to bless God today. We're going to worship God today. He's already there waiting on us. Or do we think that God magically appears here because we asked him to? And maybe we even go back another thought before we even leave home for worship. Realize that God is with us there, too. God is inside of us. And our worship is not about moving into a place where God is, but moving our hearts into the place where God is and getting our hearts right with Him. True worship is initiated by God, not by us. It is something that we cannot initiate. And for us to truly experience worship, we must be drawn into God's presence emotionally, spiritually, uh, you know, in, in our spirit, in our heart, and become aware that he wants and deserves our praise. The second thing to notice about Isaiah's experience is this, is true worship is seeing God as he is. As he is. Not as somebody conjured him up to be, not as we may want to you know, relegate him to, put God in a box, keep him over here, keep him just doing these things, let him have a part of my life, but not the rest of it. Let us worship God as he is and Isaiah is drawn into the throne room of God and he sees these marvelous creatures flying around crying out praise holiness to God and and he sees the train of God's robe filling the temple and the glory of God and and whatever else that scene unfolded in his eyes was he just falls back woe is me i am ruined <laughs> Only response you could possibly give when he sees God as He is: I am ruined here because no one's supposed to see God, and I have seen the King. I have seen the Lord Almighty. Coming to church is not about recharging your batteries so you can survive another week as a Christian. It's not about you at all. It's about Him and His greatness, and the worship that we do here together is a is a privilege. And it's about recognizing and worshiping the God who created us and who sustains all things. We come for Him. And we come to give Him praise, thanksgiving, and gratitude. Do you ever think about who it is we are worshiping and why? you ever stop to think about that? I want you to think about that. Do we really realize why we are worshiping? Do we even think about why we come? Because I think some of the reasons we come are, are not good ideas. They're not good reasons. We want to show up and impress somebody else. We want them to see somebody else. We want to mark off uh, you know, this little mark on a checklist somewhere in our mind that, yeah, I did that. I'm okay with God in, uh, another week. you know, Just a lot of false things that drive us to go to church or to be part of worship. Or maybe even you know join in some kind of private worship at home and be part of that. Maybe some false ideas are there. The only real reason is to be there is to, because God initiated and God wants to be seen as He really is. Now scientists know the vastness of our universe. Even atheist scientists are impressed. You know, and, and reports keep coming about about. How Universe is growing, expanding at a rate faster than we could possibly keep up with. We don't even have machinery. We don't have telescopes that will see out to the end of it. We don't know where the end of our universe is. And so all these things are there. But there's such an order even to the, the creation that we can get our hands on the scientists are impressed. One atheist scientist said if there is a personal God, as the Christians say, who spoke this universe into being, then there is a certain respect and reverence and worship and wonder and dread that would have to come through when they talk about him, when they worship him. What is this guy saying? That's what should happen. But I don't see Christians talking that way. I don't see Christians acting that way. They talk about this wonderful God who made everything, that, that created them, And then they act like it's no big deal. In fact, Charles Meisner, a scientist who specialized in general relativity theory, knew Albert Einstein, and he knew about his skepticism about the church, about Christianity. He said this, The design of the universe is very magnificent and shouldn't be taken for granted. In fact, I believe this is why Einstein had so little use for organized religion, although he strikes me as a basically very religious man. He must have looked at what Christians said about God and felt they were blaspheming. Strong word. He had seen much more majesty than they had ever imagined, and they were just not talking about the real thing. My guess is that he simply felt that religions he'd run across did not have proper respect for the author of this universe. Maybe before we begin, we need to go back and pick up what we missed. Maybe we spout off a lot of words about God and our praise of God and what a wonderful, majestic, powerful God He is, but they're kind of empty words because we've never really come to grips with who God is and why we have a privilege to worship Him rather than it becoming some kind of a duty or chore. What must our worship service look like to people who come through those doors for the first time? What will people say if we could quiz them afterwards? Do you think people worship today? Do you think God was honored today? Was God revered here today? Will they say that? Those people love Jesus. Those people know Jesus. Those people praise his name as a king. Or is it plain to them that we're very excited to be here? That is sobering, isn't it? For a worshiper to come into the presence of God with other worshipers, and they have the most glum look on their face. They look like somebody just shot their dog, took away their job, They've lost their car on the way here. And it's horrible what their life is. And this is what they bring before Almighty God. Let's go to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, first part of Hebrews 10, is talking about Christ's sacrifice given once for all. talks about how Christ came and he changed everything. Um, And we won't go into all of that, but the point of Hebrews 10, the writer is saying that Jesus changed everything, top to bottom, side to side. We had one way of worshiping God. We had one way of trying to honor God and live for God. And now it is totally changed, totally better. Through his perfect sacrifice on the cross, Jesus has given us direct access to God. Jesus opened up a new and greater level of worship for every believer. Therefore, we have a new opportunity in Christ to worship God as no one has ever been allowed to worship him before. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. And in Hebrews ten nineteen, he says there, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. We have in Jesus Christ a new and living way of worship. It's not the old way of sacrifices, and you spend all your money, you give all your animals, and you, you devote all these things that mean something to you. And you hope that something comes from that and really you have to do it again next month and next year and next year. Your whole lifetime goes through this process and you never really feel like you've had access to God. You never really feel like your life and heart is being changed by God. It's just ritual and routine and rules. But in Christ, there is a new and living way to worship God. And we have through Christ, Rebus says, direct access to the most holy place, the holy of holies. Now in their scheme in the Old Testament, one guy, the the high priest got to go in there once a year. And Jesus has torn the curtain. He has opened the curtain so that every believer has direct access to God and to the Holy of Holies and to come before His mercy seat and to pray and to, to praise anytime we want to. By the very blood of Jesus, we are ushered into the throne room of God Himself, just as Isaiah was. What a privilege. And so Hebrews says, Let us therefore draw near to God in sincerity, in sincerity, and in full assurance that we will be received by Him. Let us hold unswervingly to our hope. Let us spur one another on toward greater love and good deeds done in the name of Christ. And let us not forsake meeting together, but rather encourage each other while there is still time to do that. I just want to leave you with these thoughts, that true worship is initiated by God, and true worship is, is seeing God as He is, not as we want Him to be. I want you to take just a couple minutes. I know it's 11.28. We have about 10 minutes left normally. I want you to take a few of those to do something very real, very sincere. And nobody else is involved in this. This is between you and God. And I want you to contemplate and think about three questions. Why do I come to church? to worship when i come am i thinking mostly about god or about myself and who or what do i really worship who or what do i give my time my energy my thoughts my resources to I'll leave those questions on the board and get very real with god these next few minutes i will do the same I hope you've been very sincere and genuine. Maybe you need to spend some more time doing that at home. It is a terrible thing to miss who God is. It's a terrible thing not to know your Creator. It's a horrible thing to live on your own, thinking that you're God or something false is God. But when you know the true God it opens up a new and living way to live. That is my prayer for each of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your word is so clear on this, uh, so direct, and that our Lord Jesus has opened up to us a new and living way, a direct access to you, your very throne We pray that uh, our worship will change, that our attitude will change, that our awareness will change, that our capacity for worship will change. And I ask for your blessing upon each of us as we open our hearts and spirits to you, that you would work, you would do your mighty work in us. Lord, for my brothers and sisters here, may have uh, gone to church for many years, have received a strong challenge today to look at things differently. Don't let them off the hook, Lord. Keep it there. Keep it there. Just kind of digging in to our souls until we get this right. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing one final song today. Hope you'll share it.